Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey everyone, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves, and I am a speaker, an author, and a coach. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is Kathy Caprino, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Kathy is an internationally recognized women's career success and work-life expert. She's a speaker and a trainer that's dedicated to the advancement of women in business. She is the author of Breakdown, Breakthrough, The Professional Woman's Guide to Claiming a Life of Passion, Power, and Purpose, and the forthcoming HarperCollins Leadership and Murdoch book, The Most Powerful You, Seven Bravery-Boosting Paths to Career Bliss. Now, in her fantastic podcast, Finding Brave, Kathy interviews fascinating people who are demonstrating their own version of finding brave and helping us make the impact we dream to in the world. Kathy, welcome to the best thing. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. And boy, do you read that bio nicely? Well, wow. Let me tell you something. (laughs) It's a beautiful bio to read. Like it just instills confidence. And there's so many other things I could share about you, about places where you write and contribute, like Forbes and beyond. But I'm going to start with an interesting question for you because you do this amazing work just as a, as a leader, as a speaker. And I know you coach so many women individually, but also with group coaching programs. What stands out to me, Kathy, is that mm-hmm. you're trained as a marriage and family therapist. And as you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that aren't trained in a lot. And many are certified. So I'm just curious, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about having that training as a therapist and what that adds to your work as a coach? I love that question. Thank you for that. Um, I will say that that training was so life-changing, Antonio. I mean, three years and it literally turned me inside and out and it healed me and it changed me and it was incredible. And can I just say that Part of what I learned, which was not natural for me, was to sit with rape, incest, pedophilia, suicidality, drug addiction, attempted murder. One of my clients, the mother calls me and says, he's not coming in. He tried to kill his girlfriend. He's in jail. Holy cow. But I remember sitting with a pedophile. You can't be of help if you come from a place of judgment or superiority or a boundary or a barrier, not a boundary, a barrier where you can't relate. You can't help if you come from that place. So I had to learn how to find some love and some common groundedness so that they would feel trust for me and that we could connect. And I would say that all of that as well as understanding how people develop and what are the key challenges. That's what makes me a good coach, frankly. And I really, I'm not saying everyone should be a therapist to be a coach, but I will really be honest. So many coaches are not trained in anything and they will say, I, there's a book I have from years ago. You, you can coach anything. What a bunch of hooey. (laughs) What a bunch of, can I swear? Can I make this 
podcast at explicit. Yeah. That's a bunch of ridiculousness. Um, I feel that we coach best what we have understood deeply. And so, yeah, I, I would say I don't do therapy in my coaching work, but it's a coaching, it's a therapy lens that I use in the coaching. Talk to me just a little bit more about being able to sit with and not judge. And even when you're working with folks, maybe on not such serious and heavy topics and important topics, as you just mentioned earlier, pedophilia, rape, incest, beyond, how do you show up and not have that judgment and find a way, like you said, to look through the lens of helping, but I'm guessing also compassion at the same time. I love these questions. So I don't want to come across as Mother Teresa here. I'm not perfect. I'm not a saint. But there's a few things that come to mind. You know, this book that's coming out, The Most Powerful You, is about the seven damaging power gaps that I've seen professional women face thousands of times over and over. And I want to say for the guys listening, I think all of this is going to be relevant for you too. But one thing is when you have a methodology and you've done a lot of research and you're hearing things over and over and over and over again, you have an instant sense of empathy because you know that this is a universal, like in the book I talk about, everybody's story is fascinating in its specificity, mm. but relevant in its universality. So once you just, basically it's feeling at one with that person. So once you hear these things over and over, which I do, I immediately feel that we're one. We've had the same challenges. And even if they're different the way they look, you know, she has a child, she doesn't have a child, she's broke, she's making a million. We are the same in so many ways. So that's how I find empathy. Sometimes I have to say, and this is a spiritual thing, I pray to my angels, I I do a little quiet meditation before I have a call. And I sometimes there's a difficult client who I don't have as much empathy as I want to or connection. So I'll just, I'll throw it up. I'll pray, help me help this person. And then I kind of, my ego gets out of the way a little more than it would. Um, I think if I didn't try to get some upper level help, higher level help. Yeah. And that, with myself being a coach for many years as well, it's you go through some powerful sessions with people. And like you said, before that session, you have to prepare to get in the right mindset. But I also know at the end of some of these sessions, I have to take those deep breaths as well to separate myself from what just transpired, uh, if it, especially if it was heavy to make sure I'm in a good space. I do want to mention something you just said before we get to the, the juicy question of this podcast is, and for the listeners who do work with coaches and are willing to make that awesome investment to work with a coach, Kathy said an important word that I want everyone to be aware of, and that word is methodology. That means she has some standard operating procedures about how she goes about working with her clients. And what you see a lot of times, sometimes whether you're going to a therapist or if you're working with a coach, there is no methodology that exists and it seems pretty ad hoc. So could you talk a little bit, Kathy, about the importance of having a methodology and a structure? Now, of course, I know we pivot, right? It's, I think it's important to have some structure in what we do and we can pivot sometimes. Uh, but a lot of people are winging it. And I know one thing you don't do is wing it. I don't wing it. Although there's winging it within the structure, you know, like if I'm coaching you and you're bringing some information to me, I am going to go with that and go with my intuition and go with my heart. But let me talk about methodology. First of all, and you can see this, I don't know if you have show notes, Antonio, that are helpful, but I have a post about how to know if you're really on the verge of being a thought leader. 
I do think research is part of it. I think if you just take a coaching training and you you just buy into their structure, I don't think that's good enough. I think you yourself have to develop what speaks to you about a proven structure to bring clients through. So can I talk about this for two minutes? Please. I got this structure in a, in a surprising way. It was with my first book. I um, wanted to talk about the crises professional women face. And I thought I had all the answers. Let me just write this book. And a wonderful editorial consultant said, you better do some research, girl. And I was like, what does she mean? And I cried after the meeting. Well, then I got hip to my own nonsense. And I spoke to interviewed 100 women across the country about wow. how did they get to professional crisis what contributed to it? How did they overcome it? And it was their tips, their strategies, their stories that I started. I remember at the 32nd interview, number 32, all of a sudden it was all gelling. They were saying some things that had patterns. And what came out of that were five steps. When you need to make a change, want to make a change, step back for an empowered perspective, let go of the thinking patterns and behaviors that keep you stuck. Number three, say yes to your most compelling visions. Number four, try it on. Don't just leap. I want to run a bed and breakfast. I want to be an author. Forget it. Try it on first to understand the, the professional identity and the physical identity of that. And number five, create it smart with accountability. So that became the structure. And even now, when I look at the seven power gaps, where that came from was after doing a lot of work with people, I kind of split my head open. So we're talking and we're having a coaching session, but I'm also listening for patterns mm -hmm. and taking notes like, wow, I think I've heard that before. Wow. Women don't understand how to speak up powerfully. They don't recognize themselves. So what you want to do is develop your own proprietary method for change. And can I just throw one other thing in here, Antonia? Absolutely. I know a lot of coaching training programs are going to say she's wrong, uh, but I, I checked in with Karen Kimsey House, who's the co-founder of CTI, Coactive Training, which I think is one of the best. Holy. I've done training. Yeah, I've done trainings with them. Absolutely love it. Yeah, please continue. So I said to her, I got it. I got to vet this with you. I am a consultant, not just a coach. On this one call, I am a consultant, an advisor a mentor, sometimes a cheerleader when they need it. I throw the whole thing in there. So I will be directive when I feel it's important to be directive. And I go, what do you think, Karen? Thinking she, right on the podcast, I thought she was going to go, eh. she goes, yeah, use everything you have, everything. But what's important is if I'm going to be directive with you and say, Antonio, I, can I tell you what I really think about that pivot you're considering? You have to make sure that they understand they're not there to please you. You can be wrong. You're the expert in change. They're the expert in their own life. So they need to understand that they can push back and go, you know, I don't think you have it quite right. I think that's where we get into trouble when we're too directive, that they think they can't question us. Well, it's the other way around. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I agree 100%. It makes me think about sometimes in my sessions when I'm working with folks, I say, hey, just so you know, I'm taking off my coach's hat right now and I'm putting on my consultant's hat. Okay. Agree or disagree, let's talk about it. Um, you said something interesting as you were just sharing about how you found something interesting after your 30th interview. I, I find that, you know, I spent over 10 years working as a broadcast journalist in New York City with networks. And I find that in many ways, coaching at times is being a journalist because you are listening for not what's not said. You're looking for those okay. different patterns, capturing all these unique things that eventually come together to create what the story is going to be. And as you know, that first time that person comes in for session one, 
what they say they want to work on, in my experience, nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, is not what needs to be worked on. But it's it's open to being open to that. It makes me think about all those times I, I would pitch a story to my news director. Here's the story. And when the story is done, it's a whole other story. Because once you start interviewing people, you learn all this different information. So I love that you're willing to interview all those folks. That's so interesting. Yeah. I want to talk to you on my podcast about that. Yeah, the journalistic approach is, is what you find. Oh. The story is never the story you think you're going to find. And I can tell you about some of those. By the way, you know what? No, I'm going to share this for another conversation. But you'll find this one fascinating. But let's transition here a little bit because I want to get into the, the you know, the, the topic of this podcast, the best thing. I mean, you've lived a fascinating life. Anyone can go to your, your, your website, listen to your podcast and see that you've had an amazing trajectory as an executive, um, of course, now as a coach, as an author, speaker and beyond. But if Kathy, you had to identify one of the quote unquote best things to ever happen to you that wouldn't necessarily appear on a resume, show up on a bio or come up on that conversation you have with someone that still had a profound effect on your life and who you are today, what is one of those things? Oh, I mean, the, the one that comes to me most, and I talk about it a lot, so it's not something that um, people haven't heard if they've listened to me, but it was the last two years in my corporate life when it was all going a heck in the handbasket. I was chronically ill no work-life balance with my little kids, toxic narcissistic bosses and, and colleagues, and I didn't even know what narcissism was, um, chronic illness, Antonio. You know, I'm a singer, and now I'm a speaker, and I had four years of an infection of a tra my trachea. Every three months, four years of uh, just getting violently ill, basically, not being able to speak, and sexual harassment and gender discrimination, and waking up every day saying, is this what I'm going to be doing with my precious life? Uh, but I, for a lot of reasons you can hear in you know my podcast, um, I couldn't figure out what to do. <laughs> and this is what so many people who are 40 and have kids and a house and financial responsibilities, you know you're miserable, you know you're sick, but what do I do about it? And I got therapeutic help and it didn't help at the time. And I saw a career counselor and he said, you're in the really best field for yourself, marketing. Oh, I felt so alone and so confused. So I did nothing. And the truth is, I, I was promised kind of a big career at this company. And there were words said that were promises. And one month after 9-11 and one month, so wait a minute, one month before 9-11, we moved into a bigger house in a more, you know, affluent area. and. One month later was 9-11, and one month later I got laid off. Wow. And, you know, you talk about layoff, who cares? So what? Pick yourself up. I was so shattered. But I was shattered mostly because I knew then that it would go very badly for me if I returned to that life. Like, honestly, I thought I might even get cancer in the throat. Um, I, I basically had a little mental breakdown. And so that's what the layoff did to me. It made me feel like I am so lost. We'll get to the outcome, how they end up becoming the best. Um, in your experience, and this may be an obvious question, but there are a lot of women and men who are in that exact same position where on paper, everything looks right. Titles, salary, the benefits, the income to move into the new neighborhood, Yet internally, we know it's wrong. 
we get that metaphorical tap on our shoulder over and over again. Like you said, sometimes sickness can show up. What in your experience with yourself, but also with others you, you've coached, what keeps people there in that position? You had 9-11 that shocked you out of that, and we'll learn about the outcome of that and the direction you decided to take. What keeps people there when they see themselves getting sick? They're being sexually harassed. Things aren't going great. Is it fear? Is it not having previous examples of someone else who made a shift? Is it just not knowing another way? Why do we stay? I love that question. And and I want to say it is simple, but it's incredibly complex. Yes, it's fear, but that is just, it doesn't validate it well enough. Here's what it is. Um, like even if you take sexual harassment, when you're in the middle of it, you don't understand it. What is this? Am I really being sexually harassed? Did I bring it on? What, who do I tell? So like to call it fear is just not, it's not fair. It's not right to call it that. It's number one, confusion. Number two, for the people I work with, they've worked for years to build something. And are you actually going to tell me that I've got to chuck this all? So when you're in pain, I call, I coin this funny little term, the pendulum effect. When you stay in something too long, that's too painful. And I learned about this in therapy. Often you go like a pendulum. You want to go to the opposite ends of the world, but you don't know what that is. What am I going to do? I'm 40 and I'm a marketing VP. What the heck do I really want to do? We're not trained as career coaches. We don't understand careers. What We know what we know. So why are you going to leap to something when you really have no idea what it should be? The third thing is some people do have a fantasy. I want to be an author. I want to, you know, have a podcast. I want to whatever, be in, in working in a nonprofit. But but they're scared to do it because it's such a change that they don't even know where to begin to even try it on. They don't have a structure for this. Number four, money, money and security. And, you know, on one hand, like for me, I'll just be so transparent. The amount of money I made and the title I have gave me self-esteem. I was so lacking in organic self-esteem, meaning I've never used that term, but what I mean is coming from the inside, coming from who I am, no matter what my darn title is. I had none of that at 40. I was proud of being a mom. That part rocked. There's another thing. You can have one part of your life really rock. I was a good mom, but the other part be a total disaster. So finally, I think for many women and maybe men will relate, we are culturally trained not to put ourselves forward. We are trained to be the last one we think about. So the idea that a lot of women have told me I have guilt to leave this career. People say, what? Why would you think of doing that? And they guilt the women into, and I know men feel this too, primary breadwinners. So it's a complex uh, confluence of events and factors that keep us stuck. I love the term you just coined, organic self-esteem. I got I to write a book about that. You got to write that. <laughs> That's probably going to be the title of this episode. I like that because as you know, so many people, we, our self-esteem is tied to what we yeah. do. Even when I began this coaching profession, in this coaching profession and speaking, when someone asked me what I did, I would say, I'm a speaker, I'm a coach. And for over 10 years, I worked in New York City as a reporter and correspondent with all these networks. It's like I had to add in these different things to validate myself. It's funny, as you were thinking about that, as you were talking about that, in my, in my upcoming book, I have a section where I invite people 
to next time they introduce themselves, introduce themselves without referencing their career? And how would they introduce Ooh. themselves? What would they say about themselves? You know, I think we forget how mm. how interesting we are, even if we don't reference our career. Um, right. So th- that that's amazing what you just shared about the organic self-esteem. But let's go back a month later after 9-11, you lose this job. Um, I'm sure the world feels like it's caving in. Uh, talk a little bit about the, um, I'm sure there must be a, a rise of the phoenix that slowly, slowly finds its way or starts to emerge. So maybe this is incredibly helpful given what people are going through right now. I'm sitting in my therapist's office a week after crying. And he said, I swear to you, Antonio, this was the best sentence I've ever heard in my entire life. I know, Kathy, from where you sit, this is the first, this is the worst crisis you've ever faced, the the worst crisis. But from where I sit, it's the first moment you can choose who you want to be in the world. Go now, on. who do you want to be? Ooh, say that one more time, please, because I, I got, oh I got chills. God. I got oh. chills. Oh. Here it is. I know from where you sit, this is the worst crisis you've ever faced. But from where I sit, it's the first moment you can choose who you want to be in the world. Now, who do you want to be? But Antonio, I really have to finish it up with my response which was, I don't know. And that's the thing. We've spent 20 years or our whole lives being something. But how many of us actually spent every day crafting an identity that we have was conscious? So I said, I don't know. But then I said, and my mind went blank, like it always does when someone asks me a question that I'm so lost about. But I said, I want to be you. And he, we laughed. I spit it out and we laughed and he said, what a great coach. The guy wasn't a coach. He was a spiritual therapist. But he said, what does that mean to you to be me? And I said, I want to help people not hurt people and be hurt. (laughs) Makes me cry to still say it. Wow. To say it. And that's 20 years ago. And he said from that, look, I've known you two years. I think you might make a great therapist. From that conversation, I and marriage and family therapy is a genre of therapy that we have in Connecticut. Not every state has it, but two universities near me had the master's degree. I went and looked that night, looked it up, and I said, the curriculum, I said, I don't care what the heck happens. This is the most interesting thing I've ever seen. And then, and that's what happened. But what what I do want to change, what I want to end that story with is, I put all my eggs, which I tell everybody not to do, in the basket of, I'm going to be a therapist and I'm going to make a hundred thousand and it's going to be great. Well, I was a therapist and it was a rough life. It wasn't the right ending point for me because it was dark and my boundaries were not so good. So I'd sit with a depressive suicidal person and I'd go home to my kids and it would be all over me. I didn't have the boundaries. It's not the right identity for me. So I kept going and found this world, which is You know, can I say this, organic self-esteem? I think what does give me self-esteem is that I'm trying to be of help. Whether I am or not, who knows? But that I can try to be of help to others gives me self-esteem. And that is where I am today, where I didn't have a minute of that in my corporate life. I didn't feel a minute of purpose in that life. And I love that today. I mean, if there's if there's a model for you, if there's a brand, if there's just something you stand for, I love that this notion of finding brave, because that's what everyone, I remember when you first told me about this a few years back, but this notion of finding brave is what all of us are truly 
looking for. And I'm just imagining you in that moment when he said you can change who you want to be in this world. And I just think about how challenging it is for all of us because that requires all of us in many ways. I have this visualization of a house. And for many years, we just keep painting a new coat of paint on it over and over again. And we, we never scrape it down and put it uh, to its bare essence and put a new, but we just keep painting over and over again. And all of us as human beings, we have these layers and layers of paint on us. And to step into the world of who we truly wants to be, it requires us in many ways to get rid of all of those old layers of paint, all of those old uniforms that we used to wear and how vulnerable inherently that is. So my hunch for you is in that moment, even as you decided to transition into being a therapist for a while, that must have been extremely vulnerable and maybe you second guessed yourself. And let's let's even talk about this. How many other people say, Kathy, girl, what are you doing, Miss VP? You'll get another job. What are you doing? I love it. I love your questions. I will never forget two two times when I told people, all right, I'm going to do this. I was in the grocery store and I saw an old acquaintance, not a friend. And she goes, I said, I'm going to get a master's in marriage and family therapy and lead corp. She said, what makes you think you have to do that? Ooh. That's what she said. Oh, she, that's like a line from a TV show. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I just stared. And then I went and feebly like whimpered off. Then a few weeks later, I we had a, a, two people over for dinner and they were musicians. My ex-husband is a world-renowned jazz percussionist. She said, you know what's going to happen to you? And I had them over for dinner, sitting down to eat. She goes, you're going to be burnt out, broke, and miserable. And this was a friend. This was a friend. I went, I go, excuse me a minute. I went upstairs and I fell on my bed and I cried. So I want, I'm really glad you point this out because what we tend to do when we look at people who seem to have had some success, they think miraculously they wake, woke up one day and woohoo, they had it. Well, it ain't like that. Right. Um, so I remember when I first started my very first master's class, I was sick in the bathroom beforehand, because here's what I thought. I'm 41 years old. I'm never even going to be remember how to study. People are going to laugh me out of the room. I'm too old. And then I walk in and half the class was corporate, you know, refugees. And we're all like, oh, and instant friends. The other thing that I think is hard for people when they start over, any kind of expertise I had was gone. I was a beginner. And that is not easy no. to be a beginner again at 41, you know? Being a beginner that age is so challenging, but it's also beautiful as well because you have this blank slate. If you're willing to see the other side of it, I have to, to ask you this question. Uh, when you decided to transition to go into to therapy and, and you found out eventually that wasn't what you wanted to do, right? And I think, like you said, people make that assumption that when they decide to leave their career behind that they no longer want or something else behind that they no longer want, that they're immediately going to find success. Uh, as you know, most times that's not the case immediately, but by you willing to take that step to enroll in that program, become a therapist, you ended up finding your way. Could you talk a little bit, Kathy, about the importance, I'll frame it like this, of creating your own momentum? You getting into that program, even though, again, therapy wasn't much what you were going to do for the remainder of your life, created some momentum that otherwise w wouldn't have been there. 
Oh, I love you. Your questions are deep. So I love to talk about, you know, some people are going to take a cataclysmic move like that. Other people, and you know, that's not easy on your system. Um, in fact, you know, I talk about calling. Sometimes we have a calling and that is not the same thing as a job. The calling comes and grabs you and doesn't let go. And sometimes to the detriment of your health, your relationships, your checkbook. But talking about momentum, I love to say, and this is one way to get unstuck, do what you have to to stay afloat financially and emotionally, but always plant the seeds for your future self. So the momentum is what what probably would have been better, Antonio, but I don't believe in regrets. I am here because I did what I did. But what would have been better is, you know, I took two courses before I um, signed up for the master's. That was smart. But what I did that was not so wise is turn my back on anything I could have made money with. So I could have been a marketing consultant. I was a copywriter. I could have helped businesses, you know, market their stuff. No, I just, uh, there was so much emotional pain that I pendulum affected it right out. What, what I think is important to do is continue moving on the path that, that feeds your soul, that pulls you, you know, I have to just share my son told me he saw a Mark Cuban video and I found it that said, if, if you want to be rich, don't pursue your passion. That's the worst advice ever. I don't agree with that, but you have to do it wisely. So you create momentum, I think, by continuing to put yourself forward in the scary place of learning and then applying and then integrating and then pivoting. That's how you do it. So, you know, I was taking classes, then I, but, but what I did wrong, frankly, Antonio, you also have to listen to yourself. Mm. So what I keep doing, what I kept doing is boxing myself in, like I invested 30 grand in that master's. So by the time I got to the, the third year and it was an internship and I was working with clients and I didn't like it, I had to tell my husband, right, you know, three years after being a therapist, and here's what happened. Client called me up and said, I'm driving right now. And I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to wrap my car around a tree now. And in that split second, Antonio, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not equipped for this. And I don't want this in my life. This is what I thought. But then I thought I made myself wrong. So to your point, if you want to keep the momentum going, don't make yourself wrong because you're going to box yourself into something that again is wrong. Make yourself right. Meaning I don't like this. It's okay. I don't like this. I had a friend go douche when I said, but I feel like what kind of healer am I that I don't want to do this? She goes, oh, for, there are people that are love it, that are suited to it. Get over yourself and find the thing you want to do. So this is all towards your point of keep going, keep integrating what you learn, become a bigger version of yourself, but don't box yourself in because you're in denial. I love friends in our life that say things like get over yourself and find get the thing that you want to do. That is, oh. th those people are, are worth oh, so much in our lives. Mm -hmm. And um, and I agree with everything you said 100%. Kathy, as we get ready to wind down here, there's something you said that that woman said to you at your home at dinner. Uh, she said, what makes you think that you have to do that? Makes you think you have do to do that. that. Right now, there's someone um, who's listening to this that wants to make a pivot, go a different direction in their life, potentially their career, et cetera. And there are people in their lives saying, what makes you think you have to do that? And as I heard you say that, the words that came to my head is one is are, are the words of, our happiness hurts no one. 
So when someone Whose says, quote is that? Uh, That's some, some guy by the name of Antonio Neves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I thought or, it was Einstein. I probably read it on a, on a Hallmark card, but I remember <laughs> like, but I tell folks, your happiness hurts no one. So when people are saying, what makes you think you have to do that? I think we have to remind ourselves that our happiness and our success hurts no one. So could you talk a little bit about to that person who's being told what makes you think you have to do that? And so maybe they're retreating from it, but how they can, here's the word commit or recommit to themselves. I love it. And I feel like there's an hour here but I uh, of this one discussion, but I do need to say this. You got to be careful who you share your dreams with. Not everybody is somebody you should be telling these dreams to. You don't have to tell this mean person in the in the grocery store. Be careful. Number two, be open to critique. Um, not everybody's going to understand it. And sometimes in that, in that challenge, why do you think you have to do that is something important to look at. So don't be so um, weak and vulnerable with your dreams that someone's critique is going to shut you out. But what I would say to that woman now is something like this, and I haven't thought of this, but let's Mm -hmm. see. Okay, Sally, interesting question. I'll tell you why I, I do think I have to do it now. I have been unhappy for 20 years and I've been chronically ill for four of those. And this is an enlivening direction that I'm ready for. But more importantly, I'd ask you why you ask it like that. And then I would pause. Oh, the pause would be so good. And I'd just smile. So there you go. We have to be, I didn't do that. I scurried away and sniffled like a, you know, I was crushed. I didn't have boundaries then. I didn't know how to protect my dreams. I didn't know any of this. But we have to protect our dreams and be strong, but be careful who you share them with. And you know what? There are people in your life that are um, very wedded to who you are today, and they don't want to see you change. And if that's your spouse, you're going to have to have a conversation. Come to you know what moment. Um, But a lot of people, a lot of my corporate friends were very threatened about me chucking the whole thing because they they were jealous. We find sometimes it can threaten people when you grow. They have a vested interest in us staying the same because when we stay the same, when we don't evolve, we don't grow, that they feel okay with their lack of growth and and development. So I hear exactly what you're saying. Kathy, I I can tell you right now, this conversation could could go on for much longer, but what we're going to do, if you're willing, is have you back when this book is published so we can talk specifically about that. In this short amount of time, you have shared so much. And my hope is that you're going to get on the phone with your trademark a lawyer to get organic self-esteem before I do. <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> because Oh my God. I do love it. You and I, you'll do something together yeah, about it. Yeah, because it, on it. it is so I'm writing good. it down. And what's oh. what's amazing to me though, as we wind up when wind up this conversation is how all those years ago when you decided after that tragic event of 9-11 and you decided to go this direction of pursuing, you know, uh, your master's in, in therapy is how, even though you didn't have these two words of finding brave, which you have today, how much they connect to something that happened many years ago. And so how true is it, the essence of who you are today connects to that person who made that decision so long ago? I just think that's beautiful. Oh, Antonio, I can't thank you enough. And I think what you do is help people find brave every day. That's what's so cool about it. It's you don't wake up and just have bravery. It's finding it wherever you can find it in your soul, in other people, in doing this, in your podcast. So I hope everybody feels inspired to find brave just a little bit today. Yeah, well, thank you for the work. 
that you do, even in our little short talks before we even hit record, like I'm always inspired and, and, and just fired mm-hmm. up. You know, I think it's important. We're encouragers. And I think it's important to have people who encourage the encouragers. And you're one of those people. So, mm-hmm. Kathy, um, mm-hmm. for folks that I know want to learn more, of course, there's going to be more um, notes on the show notes page for this episode. But where's the best place people can find you and learn more about your work? Thank you for asking. The best is kathycaprino.com and the podcast Finding Brave is findingbrave.org. You know, sign up there and you'll get all sorts of announcements. And I have so much free stuff and videos and assessments and I'm here to help. And I'm launching a mentor, a free mentorship program quarterly, a new person. I'm going to mentor for free. It's one way to give back. I'm thinking of all sorts of ways. How can we help in these times of ever evolving change ever evolving change at time more than ever than to find brave is right now so kathy thanks again can't wait to have you on later thank you so much and come on my show again antonio take care be well everybody thanks for listening to the best thing podcast with antonio neves join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens for more resources go to the antonioneves.com if you enjoyed this podcast we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode